All right. It's good to see some of y'all. I'm going to have to like turn sideways because the majority of y'all are sitting on the sides today. So middle section may feel ignored, but it's all good. Hey, listen, I want to apologize up front. Um, well, I'm not really going to apologize, I'm just gonna, but I will say, listen, I was so frustrated this morning because um, these lights are driving me insane. Um, and then, but let me tell you, like, it's been doing it for a couple weeks, and, um, but not as bad as it was today. Like, even so, even when I started singing, like, the song, My Testimony, I wasn't feeling it. You know what I'm saying? And then Justin got up here and just kind of punched me in the heart. One of those good heart punches you see on those Mortal Kombat shows, you know, where it kills everybody. I was just like, why am I letting that thing bother me? You know what I'm saying? And... So I will apologize for, um, I'm human, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but good morning again, and I just want to, I want to start off this by saying, um, back at the beginning, right before it kind of got springish, um, me, Brittany, and the kids um, got these little planner things. What are they called? I don't know, it's one of those, like it's square, like a rectangle, and it's black on the bottom, clear on the top, and it has like 75 pods in it. Um, that you put seeds in. We filled every single one of them suckers up. You know what I'm saying? We had like 75 tomato plants this year. Um, we had Zane planted like 75 hot pepper plants. And he made some hot, like he made some awesome hot sauce. Like it burns going in and burns coming out. You know what I'm saying? And I told him, like I said, this stuff is so good, dude. You need to like, we're gonna, next year we're going to bottle this stuff up. And you're gonna, we're going to go down to the farmer's market, and you're going to make your dad a lot of money. You know what I'm saying? And, um, but it was, it's the biggest garden like we ever had. We always had some little, little short, little small little box thing, and you like pick three things off of it. By the time it grows, after you've watered it like 100 times, it's spent like $6 billion on water bill. You know what I'm saying? Like you get like three tomatoes and... Or four cucumbers, and now, like this year, like we, like we had to give stuff away. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, it's, it was ridiculous, and Brittany wants to go bigger next year, and I'm like, what are you, like, if you go sell this stuff at the farmer's market, I'm cool with it, um, but I'm going to be honest, like, outside of the digging and tilling, because Brittany's weak, I did, she did most of the work, okay? Like, I did the tilling, I did the digging occasionally, I did the water, Brittany did the majority of the work, okay? Um, and Brittany did this one thing, like, most of the tomato plants, we really didn't do anything to other than water them most of the time. Right, but Brittany, a handful of them at the end of a row, um, started cutting off dead things and cutting off the lower limbs, and and like she really paid attention to these one cluster at the end. And I would dare to say, okay, that those three, four, five—we don't know because I mean we had seventy-five of them and they all kind of grew together. Um, four or five plants, the ones that she paid attention to the most, yielded the most fruit. You with me? Because she took care, she pruned, she cut off dead things on those a lot. And maybe she just didn't, was too lazy to walk to the other end and start on that end. I don't know. She's going to kill me here in a minute, but it's okay. Um, I don't know. But, we, but like, I would dare to say the ones that she paid attention to, the one that she pruned, the one that she cleaned, the one that she cut the dead things off of, and I'm, that's going to drive me insane, but it's okay because, devil, you ain't getting nothing today. Um, those yielded like the most fruit ever, right? Like double all the rest of it combined. You know, and it amazed me. Like, you always knew, like, you know, you hear when your dad's planting a garden, hey, cut off the bottom limbs, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
so the nutrients gets up to the other ones. Or some people say plant them sideways so the you know the whole stem can turn into a root. Blah blah blah. Whatever whatever your deal is. Either way, those suckers like went ballistic, and we ate tomatoes. Well, Hayden ate tomatoes like it was going out of style. Why he still likes them, I don't know. We like we've had like she canned stuff this year, y'all, and she didn't blow up the house. <laughs> so proud of you. But with that with that kind of in mind. Um, if you remember last week, Jesus and his disciples had just wrapped up their, the last of the supper in the upper room, and um, I forgot up eating the Passover meal, and Jesus says, now, now come with me, right? Now come with me. If you remember, the chapter ends with Jesus saying all this stuff, and he says, now come with me, which means a couple different things, right? Spiritual level, like come with me, like you have to die to yourself, right? But also, this, they're in a physical place at this point. They're in this upper room, and now he's saying, now come with me. So the question is, where are they headed? Right? Where are they physically heading? They're about to walk to the Garden of Gethsemane. But on the way there, they, you have to understand, they have, we'll get to it here in a couple of weeks, but the, the, they have to cross the Kidron Valley. And everybody knew what the Kidron Valley was. That's where the olive trees were. That's where, that's where the vineyards were. That's where, like, even if you got close to the city walls next to the Kidron Wall, like, you could smell the aroma of the olives and the grapes. And, and so they, everybody knew, like, this is the direction we're heading to go to Gethsemane. And, like, to, and uh, gar, Garden of Gethsemane. And, 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 and so they, they, they had this physical picture in the mouth, something that they can see and they can touch when they get to that point. But Jesus comes in and, and in a way that they also can understand what he's talking about. So they know they're going to the, heading toward the garden. Jesus is where Jesus goes up and he's going to pray here in a couple of chapters. But Jesus begins this journey as they're leaving the room with this statement. In John 15, 1, he goes and says, I am the true sprouting vine and the farmer who tends the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to, to me by lifting and propping up the, fruit, the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield greater harvests. See, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to sidestep here. There's been several pastors throughout the generations, throughout the years, that have preached different versions of this text that we're reading today, right? And if you're on one, in one camp, you'll hear, because here in a minute we'll talk about pruning, you'll, you'll hear at one camp say, well, he prunes those off, you know, not, you know, once saved, not always saved, you go that kind of teaching. And then you had this other group way over here. And I'm, I'm gonna, I want us to kind of land in the, middle, in the middle here for a second. Because I think these first two verses give context to the rest of this story. You with me? The context of the rest of this teaching that Jesus said. But here's what we find out right off the bat. Right off the bat. Is that we have a father who even though we fail, he lifts us up. He says he takes those lower, lower limbs and he props them up. He lifts them up. Lifts them up off the ground and gives an opportunity to be fruitful. We, we can say it like this. We can say it like this. He says, we can say, the first step of Christ is not judgment, but encouragement. That's why we have the famous passage 3.16, but the one after it is probably actually my favorite, John 3.17, which says, for I did not, this is Christ speaking, for I did not come into this world to, to judge or condemn the world, but to save it. Like right now, there is, there, 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 you're not being judged by Christ. In fact, he's trying to prop you up to, be, to save you. Either save you 
in, in regards to salvation, in, in you placing faith in him, or maybe you're still living in your past, you're still living in your regrets, and he's trying to save you from that death trap. If you keep, if you keep, if you keep walking and, and, and looking back to the past, to your past and your failures and your shame, you're never going to you're never going to be successful in what God has called you to. But see, that's that's not all He does. He doesn't just in, encourage us. He doesn't just prop us up. That's the one reason why, like, when people say, "Oh, you, that Jesus stuff is just a crutch to you," yes, if I don't prop myself up on Him, I'm going to fall. I need that crutch. You with me? But that's not all he does, is that he prunes away everything that can kill us, that can kill our joy. For some of us, it may be people in our lives. Like God may cut some people off of your life because they're not good for you, and that's okay. He, he, may, he may take that job from you, and that's okay. You with me? He's on a prune. He wants you to be the most successful. He wants you to be the most righteous and holy person in you because here's the thing. Dead things carry disease. Dead things carry disease. He doesn't want you to get infected. So he prunes away these dead things from our past because, because we, he doesn't want us to be connected to those things anymore because we serve a God of fresh starts. He wants you to have a fresh start. And in fact, I love this. Like, Anybody read through the book of Lamentations? I didn't think so. Okay. <laughs> You're good. I'll take care of you later. Um, just kidding. JK. Lamentations is this um, book about laments. Okay? And what laments mean is complaining. You with me? Like the book, Lamentations is a whole book about a group of people just complaining to God. Some of y'all could write this yourself. You with me? But in this book, in the book of Lamentations, I didn't put this verse up there, so Zane's probably like, where's this at? It's not up there. You're good. In, in chapter 3, in the midst of complaining, in the midst of hardship. So there's nothing wrong with complaining. You know what I'm saying? Like, you like, God, why is this happening to me? Like, maybe he'll answer you, right? But in the midst of this, in Lamentations 3, the writer says, but his mercies are new every morning. No matter how many times I fail and how many times God seems distance, distant, no matter how many times, like, I get a fresh start every day right <laughs> like I don't know about you but I screwed up probably 400 times already today you with me and thank, thank God that every moment God's saying mercy 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 grace 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 upon us and that's why I love what Paul wrote to us in Philippians in Philippians, uh, in Philippians 3.13 he says I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this right Listen, if I was in my own strength, I'd be miserable every day. You with me? Like, look at the world around you. Look at your own personal life, things going on in your life. Like, you would be miserable every day. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. What is this focus? I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to, to the future instead. With me? Too many of us are so focused on back here and what we've done in our past that we, we live in misery. I can't believe I've done that. The shame that we carry for, you know, 27 years I carried around the shame that I was raped when I was 12. 25 years I carried around the shame that, that kept me from focusing on what God has for me in the future. And I could put on a smile, I could put on a face, I could make people chuckle. You know what I'm saying? I could, 
became a pretty good faker sometimes. But it ruined everything. It ruined the things that God had for me. Like, I, you know, I would try to cover up the shame of that with other shameful things, which is why I got in a lot of trouble growing up with things. Because I didn't do what Paul said here and not depend on my own strength, but focus not on my past, but I fa- but fasten my heart to the future instead because with God, the best is yet to come. The past doesn't define us. But he goes on to say, I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. Our focus is on Jesus. Jesus is always ahead of us, so we should focus in our run to him. We should run to him. And that's why Jesus goes on to say this. He says, the the words I have spoken over you have already cleansed you. Listen, you are already clean. Like that stuff has already been pruned away and cut off. So don't focus on that because those things are dead. Those Those things will infect you. Those things will get in your mind and your heart and you won't live a life. One that's pleasing to him, but that is motivated by his love. You've already been pruned. You are cleansed. You are clean. You are clean. If anybody tells you you're dirty, you're not. For what he declares over me is true. And he says, I've already cleansed you. You are clean. So don't turn back to the ways of your past. No matter how hard life gets, no matter how, 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 how hard the struggles get, we cannot run back to our past because it clearly cannot save us. There's death and disease there. He goes on to say this. He says, so you must remain in life union with me. For remain, for remain in life union with, with for, I, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you have your life intimately joined to mine. I am the sprouting vine, and you are my branches. As you live in union with me as your, as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. Some of us are so focused on our, on our own strength that we're, we're missing out on the purpose that God, God has for us. He says, if a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Such a branch are gathered up and thrown into the fire and be burned. And this is where I'm going to differ from one camp and the other. Is this, is I, already, I believe these are people who, are, who have never followed Jesus, not those who have been saved and lost their salvation. They've been apart from him. And if, we're, and if we're in life union with him, if we, if we have faith in him, the Bible is very clear that what he has a hold of, he, he won't let go. Nothing will fall through his hands. Okay? Gathered up and thrown in the fire to be burned. But if you live in life union with me, and if my words live powerfully within you, then you, you can ask whatever you desire, and it will be done. Here's, here's the main concept of all this that I, I want you to grasp, and it's this, that Christ should inspire the total life of the believer. Christ should inspire the total life of, of the believer. So let me say it like this. So maybe it's a little bit under, understandable. When people talk about you, they wouldn't be able to talk about you without talking about Christ. That's how connected you should be to the vine. You should be so connected to Christ that it, that it is impossible for people to talk about you apart from Christ. But here's the second thing. And it's this, that Jesus has to be your source of life. I'm going to say this real clear. Your kids will not satisfy you. 
your spouse will not satisfy you. Brittany would say amen to that one. Nothing in this world will satisfy you. The only thing that can give you life is Christ. Apart from him, you bear no fruit and you belittle your God-given purpose. Apart from him, apart from him being your source, you will not bear fruit and you, you belittle God's given purpose. In fact, John would later write in the end, in Revelations 3.15, he says, I know all that you do. Which that phrase alone is scary enough, right? Things you think you're doing in secret, now they've been laid bare. They, they're, they're there, and God sees them. I know all that you do, and I know that you are neither frozen in apathy nor fervent with passion. How I wish you were either one or the other. I, it's just, just God saying, I'd rather you be hot or cold. I'd rather you be on fire for me or not at all than being right here in this mediocreness that you're in. I'm tired of mediocreness. I want something that's so much deeper and so much wider and so much more fruitful than what the majority of believers are experiencing right now. I wish you were either one or the other. But because, now, this, is, this is a scare, verse 16 is scary. But because you are neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. It's scary. We're not, if you're not going to walk with passion, not with, not walk with fervent, not with zeal, he's saying, you know what? I'll let you live in that. You go live your miserable life, and I'll see you when you get here. But if, if you want a life that's full of joy, word, passion, be on fire for me. Maybe the reason your life is not fruitful is because you've, you've lost your zeal for your first love, your first real love, and that's Christ. You see, here's the deal. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't just want to smell like smoke. I want to be on fire. You with me? Like, I, I, want, I want the fire to be so raging in me that, like, I walk in a room and people go, Jesus is here. Not that I'm Jesus. But they, they, they feel the presence of Jesus so much that in that instant they're like, what can I, can I have what you have? I don't want to just smell like smoke. I don't want to just smell like tradition. I don't want to just smell, be that person who claims Jesus with my lips but lives a life totally different than what the Bible clearly defines us to live as. I'm sick and tired of being mediocre. And I'll be honest with you, I think no matter how far along how much on fire you really become, you're still going to feel mediocre because nothing can be the standard of Christ. You with me? Not until we get there. Now, also in this passage, Jesus brings up, brings up again asking, asking that if we ask in his name, it will be given. Now, I don't know if you remember from last week, but just a reminder, what it means by asking his name is not tagging in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer. But what that really means is praying in, the, in his character, in the character of Christ. Like, does, is what you're praying matching his character? And if it's not, guess what? He's probably not going to answer it, just to be honest. Ask in my name, anything you ask in my name or in my character that fits my character will be given to you. Like, we should be so connected. Like, we should be so, so connected to Christ that when we do pray, that everything that comes out of our prayer, right, everything that comes out of our prayer is a reflection of him, not of us, 
not just our wants. That's not saying, I'm not saying don't ask God for things, right? But what I am saying, does it match his character? When we pray for someone, when we pray for our enemies, does it match his character? Let's keep going. When your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let me love and nourish your heart. You must love. When your lives bear fruit, there you go. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. If you keep my commands, you will live. You will live in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands. For I continually live nourished and empowered by His love. My purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. The same joy that Christ felt, you can feel. You with me? Even in the midst of like He knows He's about to die, and He's saying, "I'm so much filled with joy." Why? Because He is fulfilling. His purpose. He's fulfilling his purpose. Our joy should flow from our obedience to him. Our joy should flow from our obedience to him. He goes on to say, so this is my command. This one's a hard one for some of us. Love each other deeply as much as as I have loved you. Who did it tell you to love? Each other. Each other. Does each other include those people who do you wrong? Does it include those who do you right? Love each other deeply as much as I have loved you. For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this goal and this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. You show that you are my You show that you are my intimate friends when you obey all that I command. I have never called you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. And and servants don't always understand what the master is doing, but I call you my most intimate friends. Are you laying your life down for your friend, Jesus? So I'll reveal to you everything that I've heard from my father. You didn't choose me but I chose and commissioned you to go into the world to bear fruit. And how do we bear fruit if we're not connected to the vine? And your fruit will last because whatever you ask for my Father, for my sake, he will give it to you. So this is my, par- my parting command. This is Jesus' last command. You ready? I think it's probably the most important one. Love one another deeply. Love one another deeply. So I want to say, are we known as a people of love? Because I can let you know the world knows what we're against, but the world doesn't know what we're for. You with me? How? Are we known, are you known as a person of love? Because if you're not, please don't tell people you're a believer. Honestly, that's just me being honest. If you're not loving the people that are around you, you're not following the characteristics of Christ. You're not following the characteristics of Christ. He goes on to say, just remember, when the unbelieving world hates you, they first hated me. 
If you were to give, give your uh, allegiance to the world, they would love and welcome you as one of their own. But because, but because you won't align yourself with the values of this world, they will hate you. Have you noticed that? I have chosen you and taken you out of the world to be mine. So remember what I taught you. That a servant isn't superior to his master. And since they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they obey my teachings, they will all, if, if, and if they obey my teachings, they will also obey yours. They will treat you you this way because you are mine. And, and they don't know the one who sent me. They don't know the one who sent me. You are not going to be liked by everyone that you're around. And that's okay. Because you have chosen to live a separated life in this world. You have chosen to stay connected to the vine, the only true source of life. And it's okay. I think my my biggest fault in life is I want to try to please everybody. So if you ask me to do something, guess what? most likely going to say yes. Right? Because I want people to like me. I just want to be loved. And sometimes that's got me in some deep doo-doo. But you're not going to be liked by everyone because you're choosing to live a separated, striving for holiness and righteousness kind of life. And that's okay. That's where the pruning comes in because God just wants to cut those people out of your life so that you can grow and be who you are supposed to be. You're striving for holiness and righteousness and the unbelieving world will despise that. And here's why. Jesus tells us. If I had not come and spoken these things to you, the unbelieving world, they would not feel the guilt of their, of their sin, but now their sin is left uncovered. The reason the world hates you and hates Christ and hates this message is because it exposes who they really are. They can't wear their mask in the presence of Jesus. You can't wear your mask in the presence of Jesus because your sin is laid uncovered too. But here's the thing. Christ through your life exposes the world's guilt. Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, it, says, it says that God placed eternity in man's heart. He placed morals. He, pla- he, placed, it, he placed knowledge of, of good and evil. That's why even when Hayden does something he wasn't supposed to, he looks back to see if we're watching. Because God's placed eternity in man's heart to know right from wrong. Deep down, we know right from wrong. And even though we know right from wrong, Isaiah 53 tells us that we've gone our own way. We've chosen rebellion against God. But he still made a way. Even though he, we didn't choose him, he chose us. So since Christ got a hold of us, we're, we're, going, to, we're, going, we're going a different way in the world, and that's okay. And they're going to hate us because we're exposing who they really are. All those pastors have been exposed. That probably needs to be done, but we're actually exposing the world. You with me? 
The world's going to hate you, and it's okay. Because the one that matters most loves you and cares for you. And it says, in a minute, we're going to read, we're going to read in a minute where he sends an encourager to walk alongside you. That when you feel alone, you're not ever really alone. He goes on to say this, if anyone hates me, they hate my father also. If I had not performed miracles in their presence like no one else has done, they would not feel the guilt of their sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. And all of this has happened to fulfill what is written in the scriptures. They hated me for no reason. And I will send you the divine encourager. Remember, if you remember from last week, the Holy Spirit, the work in it, in Aramaic, you know, when, it's, when they there as the one who lifts the curse. I love that. I love that. And I'll send you the one that lifts the curse from the very presence of my Father. He will come to you, the Spirit of Truth, emanating from the Father, and He will speak to you about me. And you will and you will tell everyone the truth about me, for you have walked with me from the start. In the midst of hate. Christ sends the Holy Spirit to encourage us. To lift the curse off of us so that we can live with our eyes wide open focusing on the road that's ahead. I'll run the race. Keep looking forward. I don't hold on to what's behind me. I keep moving forward towards Christ. In the midst of hate, Christ sends His Holy Spirit to encourage us, to let us know that we're not alone. And he goes on to say this. I know we're getting two chapters done today. Y'all okay with that? We'll be here for like two hours, Derek. No, no, no. I have told you this so that you would not surrender to confusion or doubt. For you will be excommunicated from the synagogue. You will be excommunicated from your friend group. You will be excommunicated from... I've been excommunicated from a lot of places. <laughs> but you'll be excommunicated from the synagogue, and a time is coming when you will be put to death by misguided ones who will presume to be, be doing God a great service by putting you to death. And they will do these things because they don't know anything about the Father or me. I'm telling you now so that when, when their time comes, you will, rem you will remember that I foretold you. I didn't tell you this at the beginning because I was still with you. But now that I'm about to, about to leave you and go back to join the one who sent me, you need to be told, yet not one of you are asking me where I'm going. It's like, can you imagine being the disciples in here and Jesus saying that? Like, I told you to come on. And then you're not like, hey, where are we going? Like, you know, you, you're just like, okay, I'll pull whatever. You know, like, cracks me up. It makes me feel good about myself, like I'm not that far off, much different than the disciples, because sometimes we put the disciples on this holier-than-thou like pedestal, you know, which, I mean, they're going to be wrong. They should be honored and honored, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like, they were dumb just like us, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it makes me feel good. <laughs> like, maybe I'm doing better than what I think I am, you know? But here's the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. I'll give you a second to get to that. But here's the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the divine encourager will not be released to you. And this is why Jesus just, when he resurrected from the dead, um, why he didn't just take everybody home, right? It's because he wanted us to 
experience and courage. He wanted us to live a life to reach as many people in a, in a, in a hostile world. All right? It's to your advantage that I go, for if I don't go away, this is, this is why he didn't set up an earthly kingdom, because this, okay? If I don't go away, the divine encourager will not be released to you, but after I depart, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will expose sin and prove, prove that the, the world is wrong about God's righteousness and his judgment. Sin, because they refuse to believe in who I am. God's righteousness, because I'm going back to join the Father and you'll see me no longer. And judgment, because the ruler of the dark world has already received his sentence. So I'm just going to give you a pause here for a minute, okay? Basically what that's saying is sins entered into the world and we needed a righteousness that wasn't our own, right? We needed a right standing with God and the only way we could receive that right standing with, with God is if Christ were to come and die and resurrect, giving us victory over life, death, and the grave, life, sin, and the grave, and 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 to go back to heaven. Like this, like that's what that is. Righteousness. So sin, we needed a righteousness. And then for all of those, all those who do not follow Jesus, what it's saying is since Satan's already received his sentence, you will receive the same sentence as he has, which is eternal damnation. Eternity in hell. Ooh, Derek said hell. It's a real place. There's so much more I would like to say to you. But it's more than you can grasp at the moment. A lot of the stuff we've read is more than we can grasp at the moment, right? We're 16 chapters in, and I'm like, there's still stuff like, I don't know if I got that or not. When the, when the truth, truth-giving spirit comes, he, he will unveil the reality of every truth within you. He won't speak on his own, but on only what he hears from the Father. and He will reveal pro- prophetically to you what is to come. He will glorify me on the earth, for he will receive from me what is mine and reveal it to you. Everything that belongs to the Father belongs to me. And that's why I say that a divine encourager will receive what is mine and reveal it to you. I just want to pause here for a second. I don't know if you've noticed the last 16 chapters, how important the Holy Spirit is to a believer. Like, I've dismissed that for years. Until here recently, really. You know what I'm saying? Like, how much more productive would I have been up to this point in my life if I really trusted and relied on the Holy Spirit more and allow Him to manifest His... his his life into mine. You with me? Like, I'm just, I wasn't even in my notes, I'm just pausing. This, like, the Holy Spirit is, is important to the believer. You with me? Soon you won't see me any longer. There he is again, saying that to his disciples. Soon you won't see me any longer, but then after a little while, you'll see me in a new way. This has a couple little, pause here for a second again. This has a couple different meanings. Like here, he's saying, here in one, here in a couple of days, you're going to see me in a resurrected body and it's going to freak you out. In fact, you're going to think, I, like, you're going, you're going to freak out because I'm going to walk through walls and walk through locked doors. And it's going to be weird. And it's going to be, you'll see me in a new way. But it also has this new thing of you'll, he's saying, you will realize how great I really am and how important it is for you to cling to me cling to because I'm the vine and the only source of life. If you want what I'm about to show you, you have to be connected to me. And so some of the disciples asked each other, here they go again, how many times do they have to ask this? You ready? Some of the disciples asked each other, what does he mean? Soon you won't see me. How many times does Jesus have to tell them over the last couple chapters, right? What does he mean, soon you won't see me? In a little while after that, you will see me in a new way. 
and what does he mean because I'm going to my father? So they kept on they so they kept on repeating, What's the meaning of all of a little while? Like this cracks me up. We have no clue what he's talking about. You ever feel that way? <laughs> like what in the world is he talking about? Uh, and Jesus knew what, what they were thinking, and it was obvious that they were anxious to ask him what he had meant. So he spoke up and said, let me make it quite clear. You will weep and be overcome with grief over what happens to me. The unbelieving world, just like in less than 24 hours, he's going to be beaten and he's going to be crucified. You with me? And you make it clear, quite clear, you will weep and be over, overcome with grief over what happens to me. The unbelieving world will be happy while you will be filled with sorrow. But know this, your sadness will turn to, into joy when you see me again. Just like a woman giving birth experiences intense labor pains in delivering your baby, yet after, after the child is born, she quickly forgets what she went through because of the overwhelming joy of knowing what a new baby has been born into the world. Listen, I'm not going, I'm not going to make any qualms. Like, I don't know what it's like to give birth. Obviously. You with me? But I will know this. Watching Brittany give birth and the pain that she was in because the first time they didn't get the epidural in right she pretty much had a natural birth. No matter the pain that she felt in that moment when she held same. Oh man, it was like she totally forgot about that. Because when you experience Christ, if you forget the pain that you've experienced in life, that pain becomes joy. Look at where God has brought me from. So he goes on to say, so you will also pass through a time of intense sorrow when I'm taken from you, but you will see me again, and then your hearts will burst with joy with no one being able to take it from you. For here is the eternal truth. When that time comes, you won't need to ask me for anything, but instead you will go directly to the Father and ask him for anything you desire, and he will give it to you. Because here's the deal. Here's why. Because in the Old Testament times, you'd have to go to a priest to be able to talk to God. You with me? That's why And now, since the veil has been torn, because when Christ was crucified, the veil was torn from the top to the bottom, and now we can enter the Holy Holies and address God ourselves. That's why I'm just like, I look at Catholicism, and I go, what? I have to go before a priest? No, 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 no. Jesus said, I can go directly to the Father. So sorry, Pope. Forget you. I'm going to the Father. And they ask him for anything you desire, and he will give it to you because of your relationship with me. So until now, you have not been bold enough to ask the Father for a single thing in my name. Ooh. Woo. What if we approach the, the throne room of God with boldness and just ask our Father for what we're wanting? Listen, when Jax wants something from me, guess what he does? He walks up to me and asks boldly, sometimes over boldly. He doesn't ask for it. He says, give me. What if we begin to ask our Father in heaven, the one that we're connected to, the one that gives us source and gives us life and, give, and gives everything that satisfies? What if we approach it, him boldly and just ask, God, I'm asking you to save my brother today. God, I'm asking for that job today. I'm asking for that phone call with that million dollars today. <laughs> you with me? What if, we just approach, what if we approach God with boldness instead of going, well, if you're willing to do this, and I'm like, the, this isn't even in this, this is, I'm sorry, but like the father who brought his son to his disciples, and the disciples couldn't heal him, the, you know, the kid, he was demon possessed, and he would have seizures, and he would get thrown in the water, he'd get thrown in the fire. 
and disciples couldn't do anything. I don't know if you remember that story. And then Jesus rolls in, and the dad lays him at his feet, and dad totally calls out the disciples. Well, I brought them to your disciples, and they couldn't do a thing, right? And what did the dad ask? How did he ask it? If you could do it, could you just do it for me? Like, and Jesus, Jesus says, what do you mean, if I can? If you ask me, I'll do it. What did the dad say? Jesus said, if you believe and ask in my name, I'll do it. The dad said, I believe. I'm going to believe it. But I'm going to need you to help my unbelief a little bit. I believe, but help my unbelief. What does Jesus do? He heals. His dad actually became bold and said, okay, I want my son to be healed. Not if. Not I want. Till now you've been told, you, you, you've not been bold enough to ask the Father for a single thing in my name, but now you can ask and keep on asking Him. To be honest, sometimes my kids asking me over and over and over for the same thing gets on my nerves, but God is a God who says, you know what, just keep on asking. If you keep, if you keep on asking, you keep on begging, you're going to keep seeking me. If you keep seeking me, I'm going to open that door and it's going to be given to you. And you can be sure that you'll receive what you ask for. That's how I know the door will be open. And your joy will have no limits. I have spoken to you using, using figurative language, but the time, is, the time is coming when I will no longer teach you with veiled speech or with parables or with those kind of things, those stories that you have to figure out. But I will teach you about the Father with your eyes unveiled. Oh, God, I wish I'd see, uh, unveil my eyes. And I will not need to ask the Father. Uh, I will not need to ask the Father on your behalf, for you will ask Him directly because of your new relationship with me, because we become co-heirs with Christ. For the Father tenderly loves you because you love me and, be and believe that I have come from God. I've come to you sent from the Father's presence, and I entered into the created world, and now I have, I'll leave this world and return to the Father's side. His disciples said, "At." Last, you're speaking to us clearly and not using veiled speech and metaphors. They were a little brave on that one. Now we understand that you know everything there is to know, and we don't need to question you further. And everything you've, been, you've taught us convinces us that you have come directly from God. And Jesus replied, now you finally believe in me. It didn't take a miracle for them to believe. It didn't take it took his word for them to believe. Do we take God at his word? And the time has come when you will be scattered and each one of you will go your own way, leaving you leaving me alone. Yet I am never alone. Yet I am never alone, for the Father is always with me. And everything I've taught you is so that the peace, so that the, the peace which is in me will be in you and you and will give you great confidence as you rest in me. For in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrow, but you must be courageous, or you must hold on. You must take, grab on with tooth and nail and hold on. Here's why. Because we don't fight for victory. We fight from a place of victory. Like he's already won. He says, for I have already conquered the world. So all we have to do is hold on. 
until our time comes to stand before him and him, he says, welcome home, my good and faithful and courageous son or daughter. Just hold on. Just hold on. So here's my question for today. Are you connected to the true source of life? Are you connected to the true source of life? And if not, then, we, then today is a day where you can get connected. And he's going to send an, encur- an encourager to you to help you through the rest of your life. Let's pray. Thank God, I thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to be here this morning. I thank you for what the book of John has been to me and hopefully to other people in this room. And God, I pray that we find ourselves disconnected from you and connected from your life source, that we will get to We'll, that we will, we will connect to you. That we'll start giving, that we'll start putting our hope and our faith in you and not in the things of this world. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've seen as not only an encourager but a power source to help us through our daily lives. And I pray for those who are sitting here today that as they leave here, they leave here connected to you. And I pray all this in your name. Amen.